For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Kane's Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget that you can download or subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores or listen to WRALsportsfan.com and on our WRAL Sports Fan app. Now, here's your Kane's Corner Podcast host, Adam Gold. A late summer edition. I have a late summer. It's called a midsummer edition of the Kane's Corner Podcast. I am Adam Gold, and I'm joined by the voice of the Carolina Hurricanes, John Forsland. Um, this has been such a weird stretch of time. Um, but for the past, I would say, as long as we have been talking to you and as long, on a regular basis and as long as I have known you, I have always referred to you as the TV voice of the Hurricanes. This whole thing has to have been very, very... Uh, troubling, uh, confusing from a personal standpoint for you uh, to watch Chuck Caton go through what he went through with the team. Um, this has to be, just has to have been a really weird summer for you. It really was, Adam. It's it's nice to hear your voice again, but it really was a um, uneasy stretch of days for a long period of time. And and really, the rumblings with with a lot of this started, you know, during my playoff run. So, you know, I'm out of town and I'm working on those games and kind of watching from afar. And then it, it, then it kind of extended with his situation into June. And, and everywhere that I would pop up, whether it be on uh, national interviews or the local interviews with you, David Glenn, so on, um, the question it had to come up. It yeah. was it's something that had to be asked from my perspective. And what I tried to do, because I have so much respect for Chuck, is kind of stay away from knowing the specifics so I could answer it clearly as far as what, you know, my opinion was. And, and, and my opinion always was that I hoped that the team and he would come up with something that was reasonable that would keep them, you know, in the fold. Uh, we know how this has played out now, and I have talked at length with Chuck about this situation. And I'm, I'm, uh, that was a good uh, a, a good feeling for me to have that conversation, you know, last week, and to know that he's going to, you know, move forward and 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 get on in a positive way, and uh, said a lot of classy things at the end, which is not a surprise to me. But yes, uh, it was uneasy because of our friendship, our professional association, the length of time that we were together has nothing to do with the circumstances that led to this. Uh, it's all uh, it, it all goes way way back. So it's difficult because there's a there's a brotherhood between the two of us, yeah. not just a friendship. I, I consider him a, a, like a brother that I never had. So it wasn't easy uh, to do it. It wasn't easy to go through it. Uh, professionally now, I'm caught in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, but I know I have a job to do, and I'm confident that we'll be able to uh, earn the trust of the fans and, and get this thing where it needs to go and, and do right by it, regardless of – of the past history and, and why some of these decisions were made. I've written about this uh, at length uh, several times now. Um, and whether whether this was always your plan, I'm not talking about what, what's going to happen now, but uh, whether this, you always approached it this way or not, uh, your broadcast on television 
is uniquely transferable to radio. I've watched a lot of hockey on TV, and there's a lot of great play-by-play guys for television. You are a great play-by-play man regardless of medium. You will translate very well. My only fear when I wrote about this initially is, man, those second-period highlights are going to suck. We're just not going to know. Uh, apparently, there's going to be something else going on there. Uh, but again, I, I just I think you will translate very well to radio. So the, I think the Hurricanes fans who listen uh, here on the fan, uh, you know, they will miss Chuck, and there's no question that they will. Uh, but I don't think they'll miss a beat. Well, we, we have a job to do, and um, I'm confident that it will be done well. And again, I have uh, a lot of respect for for Charles, and 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 because of that, I. I can't say, gee, I'm, I'm really excited uh, about this opportunity because uh, I'd be lying if I said that. So right. It's just a, kind of an indifferent feeling, to be totally honest with you, and I'm always honest when I answer any question right. that you, you pose my way. And that's how I feel about it. But I, I do know, I appreciate what you said, because um, I, my roots are in radio with hockey play-by-play. I always felt that there is a, a level of description that goes along with it that, that might not be for everybody uh, from a TV perspective. I know at points in my career, depending on who's calling shots at the national level, uh, there were people who felt that it should be a little bit more conversational on television than uh, maybe the way we do it now with NBC because uh, uh, the, the, the direction we have from the top at NBC, uh, Sam Flood believes in a telecast for hockey that is almost a, a radio descriptive play-by-play on television with then the analysts jumping in and not a lot of conversation to sidetrack the viewer because the game's so fast. But uh, I've always done it one way. It doesn't matter who is calling the shots. I felt this is how hockey should be presented on television and uh, – I'll do the same thing if it's radio only. We'll we'll be a little bit more descriptive with it, but I don't think I have to change a lot. John Forzen here on the Canes Corner Podcast. I mentioned earlier that this has been a long stretch of, uh, like, torn uh, feelings. Like, you go one way, but you're torn in another way, and a lot of nostalgia has been ripped away from fans of this franchise. And the Hurricanes have been here uh, now for uh, more than 20 years. They got here. I've been here for tw- more than 20 years, and they beat me down here by half a season. Uh, it goes back to March with the dismissal of Ron Francis and how that all played out, which was clumsy, at uh, to say the least. Uh, in along the lines there, uh, we had the, the, you know, the contract not being... Uh, continued with Glenn Wesley uh, to direct uh, defenseman development. Then we have Chuck, and now we have the trade of Jeff Skinner, the Cam Ward situation where Ward was allowed to walk uh, in free agency to Chicago. Uh, Tom Dundon uh, does not appear to have much sentimentality. I'm not arguing with his moves, uh, but it's uh, it, all of this at once is kind of a, a shot uh, that a lot of Hurricanes fans have to deal with. Well, you know, nostalgia and, and sentimental feelings and, and, and all these things are good to have. And, and we should have it and we should have emotion and we should never lose sight of whatever's happened in the past. It's very important in terms of building a future. I always believe in that. But I also think when it comes to business, um, sometimes the, the, those feelings get in the way of progress. 
and I'm not going to go on a rant here and say that everything that's been done, you know, we're, you're going to see how great this is going to be because we're all waiting to see how this plays out. Right. But what I will say about it is that uh, Tom Dundon has come as advertised as a person that will ask a lot of questions, uh, someone who will not necessarily just take how it has been done as a reason for doing it the same way. So in each of those situations, there are different circumstances which have led to a break. Uh, how difficult the break has been, you know, and how emotional those breaks have been, sure, there's no question. We've all kind of felt that. But there are reasons in every case of why he went there or why he and his, his group got to the conclusion which led to the break. So I, I think when you, when you look at it, I, I, the only analogy I can use here is if you'll recall some of the decisions that were made after the team won the Stanley Cup in 06, the contractual decisions on players. Uh, Jim Rutherford at the time, years later, even admitted that many of those decisions were emotional because he felt he had to be loyal to that group. And and some of those contracts and some of those decisions were not in the best interest moving forward. But at the time, there was absolutely no reason not to do it with certain players because they had just won a championship. So in sports, it's difficult because uh, as fans, we all have fanatical emotion and fanatical emotion can lead you down a a horrible path. And and in this case, you know, if you want to take each one and, and look at it, there are pros and cons on each side if you're objective and you can understand some of the reasons. You don't have to agree with them as to the why. But for me, after nine years, after nine years of nothing, uh, watching all of this over the course of the summer, take the emotion away. It is exciting to see there is something happening, and there is upheaval, and there's going to be something different about how they approach things getting to whatever this next level is. And if you're going to talk about culture, you're going to have to mm-hmm. walk that talk at some point. And uh, who knows if they're actually going to get to that place where they actually have a brand new culture, but you have to rip down some walls to get there. And I think that's what's happened here. Um, so we're all going to look at it and we're going to see how, how it moves moves forward, but certainly um, nobody likes change. And this has been a boatload of it. And sometimes it's difficult to, to get through it all. You no, know, we've, uh, we've been, you, you mentioned culture change. I mean, that was the buzzword from the press conference when Rod Brindamore was announced as the head coach. And that probably took longer than it needed to take uh, to get to that point of, because I, I think you and I were on, a, on the same page from the beginning. We'll make this easy for you, Tom Dundon. The guy you need to change the culture yeah. is sitting right there. Uh, and I know that there were fans who associated Rod with the, uh, the last two coaching uh, head coaches, and that was to me erroneous. But uh, that's where we are, and that's good. Um, but you know, I, I talked with Eric Cole on the show, and this goes back about actually it was July first. And Eric, sometimes when you get Eric going, Eric hmm. Eric's honesty is is jarring to a lot of people. And Eric went in on Jeff Skinner, who's obviously now with the Buffalo Sabers, and uh, and er- Eric talked about. You know, we we went too easy on him. We we gave him the benefit of the doubt too soon. We just assumed he's a young guy, he'll change. Uh, and the truth is, for basically eight seasons, uh, Jeff Skinner was essentially the same player. A talented, dynamic goal scorer for sure, and teams covet those. Uh, but the other parts of his game were too sporadic, and there was no there was a lack of accountability. And the team ultimately 
just decided it's time, not blaming it on Jeff that they hadn't made the playoffs in nine years, uh, but just he was sort of maybe a symptom of what they had been dealing with for a bunch of years. Uh, but I was I was shocked at uh, at Eric going in that way. I didn't disagree with him, uh, but I was surprised mm-hmm. to hear it from somebody who was such an important player when Jeff hit the league back in 2010 in the 2010 to 2011 uh, season. Uh, I, I just, maybe that's part of the issue that this is a team that has been somewhat enabled. Correct, and and I think enabled is is the perfect word to use. You know, enabling behavior, enabling something that you don't want to want to move forward with. You don't, you don't want to sit with. You know, after a while, it leads to insanity because you're just enabling the same behavior, getting the same result. And you know, maybe a couple of years ago, when he had the 37 goals and he was either minus two or minus three on the season. Mm-hmm. You know, if you even want to go there with that stat and kind of use it, but let's just throw that number out there. That was kind of a a, a hope that the corner was being turned, you know, for this player in a, in a complete sense. Yeah. But there's no question that the two-way nature of his game was always an issue. And to be straight with you, last season, a complete disconnect with Bill Peters on that front. Right. And to watch it every day was hard. Watching the player get frustrated, watching the coach get frustrated. At the end of the day, they both lose. And, and because of that, you know, now you get to the next coach. Now, I can't speak for Rod. He never would. And I haven't talked to Rod about how he felt about Jeff Skinner. And as an assistant coach, you really wouldn't go to the assistant coach and ask him an opinion on a player of that ilk. So until they reconvene and really get to know exactly how he feels, if he even wants to go there, I would guess that he feels the same way about Jeff Skinner. Because if there's anybody that would say to Tom Dundon and Don Waddell, listen, I can make it work with Jeff Skinner. You know, he has too much ability, too much right. talent. He's too good of a goal scorer to just say, well, throw our arms up and, and see you later. If the coach feels that he can't work with him and what he wants to bring to the table, what he wants to preach to his team without one guy going off the map, then you have to move on. Now, we could argue to the cows come home whether or not the deal made sense at the time. <laughs> I, for one, went on record saying I thought they'd start the season with Skinner right. and Falk because it had gone this deep into the summer and felt that they might need an, uh, an opportunity to reestablish the market to, to kind of create a better return for Jeff Skinner than they received. Um, you know, uh, draft choices are nice. They can be called assets or whatever, and it's certainly let's hope the prospect turns out. That's all well and good. But Buffalo still is a team with three first-round picks next year. And my thought was, well, maybe they could have at least gotten one of those. But the team had made the cultural decision that it's time. And you know what? We're gonna, if it works, good for them, because that was probably a real tough decision to make. And the problem with Jeff is he was, he was so good at what he did. He was so good at scoring goals, so good at getting those moments when he would put the team on his back. He would get the, a game turned around. Yeah. He's one of the few game breakers in the game. He's infectious with his personality, which connected to all the fans. So you're almost stuck when you have a player like that. And uh, that gets to what we just talked about in the previous question, hard decisions for a variety of different reasons. But a decision is a decision. They've made it. They've drawn their line in the sand, and now the other players will see that. And when they do come back in the fall, it'll be interesting, you know, to see now what kind of an effect that has in the rest of the roster because now they've seen that that behavior is not going to be accepted. 
John Forslund joining us here in the Canes Corner podcast. Let's let's, let's move to the other player that you ref, you uh, referred to uh, during this because it's gotten so uh, late into the summer. And Justin Falk. Uh, now, Falk's obviously an asset, and there are teams around the league uh, that would love to have. Uh, his right shot with two years left in a contract as opposed to one, so it's not really a rental. Uh, somebody who can play on a power play um, and would fit in certainly somebody's top four. Right now, he's the right side third line uh, defenseman if you consider what they're going to have, what they have in Dougie Hamilton and Brett Pesci in front of him. Uh, if they don't make another move, and I don't anticipate them moving one of those two players, um, that would be a. It certainly uh, creates a dynamic defensive core. If you go into the season with Justin Falk playing on third pair with Trevor Van Riemsdyk, there are, I don't think there's any teams in the league that have a, uh, as good a pair on the third line as the Hurricanes would have if that's their defensive core. Well, you could look at it another way, too. You could look at Falk and his best uh, presentation, his best seasons, and say if that occurs – if he comes back and he's more consistent and truly committed and, and you're getting you know everything out of his potential and talent, then all of a sudden Brett Pesci's a 5-6 guy. And isn't that something? Right, So I true. think those two can flip-flop. I don't think it's completely etched in stone because I do think if Falk is a 5-6 and a power play guy, there's going to have to be a little heart-to-heart between he and the coach to kind of uh, get him to understand maybe if he has diminished minutes, you know, what that's all about. I still think they have an issue as far as if that's a player that they do want to move. But I will say this, that whatever's happened to Justin Falk, the inconsistencies we have seen, only he can answer, whether it be health-related, uh, mental focus, whatever it is, his heart's always been, for me, in the right place. And uh, I really believe that, you know, it's like it's two different situations. You know, Jeff Skinner, his heart was in the right place in terms of how he felt he should be playing the game. There was a, a, a um, philosophical difference between how Skinner uh, thought he should be employed and how the brain trust of the team felt that he should be employed, including at the time uh, Ron Francis when he was general manager. I'm sure he was looking at the same player wondering, you know, and there's nobody better at a two-way game than Ronnie was, right. you know, that, you know, where is that? Justin Falk has just had a couple of bad seasons, and I, I don't think it has anything to do with playing incorrectly or going against the team concept. It's just, again, I don't know. We don't have the answers, you know, lack of focus, injury-related, you, know, um, you know, does he have to change a little bit about his approach as he gets older from a conditioning standpoint? We, we don't have all the answers for that, but I can tell you this. When you're in a conversation as a, as a real good top four defenseman at any stage of your NHL career, and when he was younger, uh, looking like a guy who at some point could get into a Norris conversation, yeah. it's still got to be there. So, yes, for him to be part of the six is tremendous. I mean, <laughs> they have a great group of defensemen in front of whomever is in goal. That, that they have a great group of defensemen. And to have that problem, at least on paper, is it is Pesci a 3-4 or is Falk a 3-4 and the other guys a 5-6? <laughs> great problem to have. And a lot of different um, options to go to with their power play. So that's all good. No question. I actually liked Slavin on the power play. I, thought we, I think we saw his offense really start to, uh, to grow in the second half of the season. John Forsen here on the Canes Corner Podcast. There's so many things we can talk about, uh, but it's the first one of the year, so uh, we're going to ease into the season. I'm just going to go to some rookies. We'll talk about goaltending uh, as we get closer to the start of the season and maybe see Peter Mrazek and, uh, and Scott 
Darling go uh, go head to head when we get to that point. But I, I do want to talk about rookies because the trade of Skinner opens the door for at least two rookies to get into maybe even the top nine if you think about it. Uh, Valentin Zikoff signed a two-year one-way contract, so says to me he's going to be part of the. They expect him to to make the NHL team. And as as good as Zikoff was, I'm not so sure that I liked him more than I liked uh, Warren Fogle, who we only saw for a two-game cameo before being right. sent back to the minor leagues. I think Fogle has more of a game uh, than Zikoff does, although I love his powerful body in front of the net. Uh, and both those guys play the left side, and may, maybe they fit better with in certain situations than Jeff Skinner would have fit. So you've got the uh, you got uh, Martin Natchez, you've got um, Andrei Svechnikov, and then you have Zik, Zikov and Fogel possibly all being part of the mix. That's a lot to put on rookies. And don't sleep on Lucas Walmark, who is, you know, after his mm-hmm. last season in Charlotte, I believe it's a fair statement to me. He might be the most NHL-ready guy they had, or at least uh, one of the two or three, if you put Zikoff. And, of course, you mentioned Fogel, but Walmark's right there, too. So for the first time in, in, in a long while, when you always uh, get back and, and start observing these practices and, and training camp, uh, you always talk about competition and in-house competition and guys going for jobs. But, you know, the most important thing is what are the players thinking about? You know, we can talk about that, but what do the players really believe? What does a young player believe when he comes to Raleigh and he gets to this training camp? Does he think that everything's already laid out and he has absolutely no chance and he's already got his ticket to Charlotte? Or is there a tangible opportunity for some of these guys to grab hold of jobs? And not only grab hold of jobs, but they're going to have to be impactful. They're going to have to produce. It's a tough way to go in terms of, uh, of building your team. I mean, to be fair, it's hard to expect rookie players to be, you know, productive. But it is exciting to think about if, if these players push each other and if they are to get a level of production out of a, a committee of young players, then you're going you're gonna to make up for the production that might have been lost with a 25-goal scorer. But most importantly, you're going to have a hunger and, again, quote-unquote culture that I think the team's been longing for. And I think that's what you want to see happen. You know? And I think in, in Rod Brindamore's case, that's what he wants to watch you know, every day of training camp. He wants to watch another guy be the best guy and then somebody else take those, that place the next day of these younger players. But there's no question as we look at the roster, uh, especially with uh, Natchez and Svechnikov, those two players are going to be given an opportunity mm-hmm. to be legit and they're going to have to be. They're going to have to produce in their first seasons in the National Hockey League for this team to make the playoffs. No question. One, one more hockey thing uh, before, we, uh, we put, before we put a wrap on the Canes Corner podcast with John Forslund, voice of the Carolina Hurricanes. All right, the uh, down the middle has always been an issue. This team has been looking for a, a number one center for a long time. Uh, it does appear that at least initially they're going to try Sebastian Ajo there. I'm, I mean, we'll know better when we get to training camp. Uh, I would be shocked if Aho was not in the middle. He played the middle for Finland, played the middle a little bit at the end of the season last year. Uh, what what are your expectations of Sebastian playing the middle? 
I, I like it, and I, you know, I like the small sample that we saw as a hurricane. And then every time I've watched him play on the international stage, it's been as a center, and he's been dynamic. And like I like to say, he's a space eater. So he chops up the ice, he eats the ice, he gets creative, he backs off the other team. He, he can he can play give and go with Teravine, and I'm pretty sure those two are not going to be separated. And whoever the guy is that that goes on that line, um, you know, will reap the benefits of having a guy like that as a center. I think he's smart enough. I think there was some concern maybe about you know how will he be in the faceoff circle. Right. I think they've lost a little bit that way. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the guys that they've lost, they were an excellent faceoff team. So. You know, they're going to have to uh, recoup that somehow. But I think by putting Ajo in that situation, uh, it makes them deeper down the middle. And you still have to have a presence down the middle to be a legitimate team. And I think to be fair to Jordan Stahl at this stage of his career, you know, to expect him to be a 2-3 is is legit. And, and that's what it should be. And Victor Rath's lack of production over the last two seasons doesn't give you any indication that he's really a number two. And no. then you have a young player like Natchez, you want to see him kind of ease into it a little bit. And so you're, you're looking at five on five, probably I would, I would think as a, as a fourth line guy. And for that to happen, then Ajo needs to play the middle. So I, I hope that's the way they go. I think it makes them uh, better that way. And I think they have options on the wings, yeah. you know, to, uh, to, to play around with and, and have them there. But I think in, based on his skill set. Uh, that's where he belongs. He just looks like a center to me, plays like a center, sees the game smart enough to lead the right way. He plays a good, solid two-way game that you want to have as your um, the guy setting the bar for the rest of your team. But in, in a year, uh, you know, or two at least, um, uh, Marty Natchez will move into that role. Yeah. And Marty Natchez, I believe, will be the number one center the franchise has been looking for for a long time. But the problem is... Um, it's too early. Yeah. It's too early to expect that. I think if it happens, then God bless him. By the way, I I, I like Michael Furland on the left side of Ajo and Taravainen, uh, yeah. because he can provide a lot of that agitation uh, that would be great to have next to Ajo. This the, the being harder to play against has been a like the mantra of this franchise for a long time. It does seem they have the pieces to do that better now than they have really since they were a playoff team uh, when they had Scott Walker kind of, uh, you know, leading some of that agitation uh, or a Chad LaRose or uh, even a Craig Adams to go back to those guys who really kind of mm-hmm. would mix it up. And we haven't had that in a long time, but I think there's a lot of element of that on the team right now. Uh, we'll uh, we'll talk a lot more as we get closer to training camp. We're not that far away. We're like a month away, maybe a little bit more than a month away from training camp. Oh, we got to stretch out this summer. Just I know the fans don't want to hear that, but it, a part of me is excited about that. Part of me wants just a little bit more this summer. But uh, okay, we'll get it either way, right? Absolutely. Thanks, John. All right, you got it, Adam. That's this week's Kane's Corner with Adam Gold. Download or subscribe to our podcast every Monday during the Carolina Hurricane season in the iTunes or Google Play stores or listen at WRALsportsfan.com and on our WRAL Sports Fan app. And don't forget, for the latest Canes coverage, log on to WRALsportsfan.com. Every game on the Canes radio flagship, 99.9 The Fan. Your heart. It's the only one you have. Fortunately, you also have a choice. Expert cardiologists, talented surgeons, highly skilled specialists, all of whom chose WakeMed. 
Why? The main reason is the same reason patients choose WakeMed. Everything you need for the best possible care is right here. Learn more at WakeMed.org. WakeMed Heart and Vascular Physicians. Your heart, your choice.